Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. How are you? You know, in the past three months, we have had enough twists and turns to feel like three years. There's a medical pandemic, and then there was the economic pandemic, the cultural pandemic. Is your head spinning like mine? You know, Dr. Tony Evans says, we are in a spiritual pandemic, and I would agree. We each bring different emotions today, and we want you to know you can come as you are. As we journey through the Psalms, God takes us exactly as we are. These Psalms are going to continue to teach us to praise and lament. The Psalms will teach us to reflect and to act. God is going to show us the way forward on this path. Now, the entirety of the Psalms, these were the scriptures that Jesus read. They were the songs that Jesus sang. They were the prayers that Jesus prayed. The Psalms can become our songbook as well. The songbook shaped Jesus' life. It shaped his worship. It shaped his thinking and even shaped the way that he approached his death on the cross. So we can pray that these songs in this book become our songs. And so I want you to join me in praying Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, search me. Lord, stretch me. Amen. You know, in Psalm 62, we see David, he's facing attack from enemies once again. And he says in Psalm 62, verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. See, David is confronting hypocrites who outwardly praise him, but secretly are attacking him. Have you ever had someone in your life who does that, who smiles at you, but on the inside, they're actually trying to think of ways to knock you down? What does David tell us to do? Well, look at verse two. He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David turns to God. He puts his focus on the Lord. And so perhaps David knows what we know, that bitterness will not make us better, that we can bring our whole selves to God, our King. And so Psalm 62 is really challenging us to put our trust in something lasting, in God, our rock, our refuge, in God, our rest. We're going to see David in verses 2, 6, and 7. He uses the word rock three different times. He keeps pointing to something real and lasting. See, living in an age of consumerism, you don't immediately think of something being real or something being lasting. More like fake and temporary is what we often see. 
The reality is, is that planned obsolescence is a key consumeristic ploy. I mean, why would you want to build an iPhone that will last year after year after year when you can build an iPhone that after one year becomes obsolete and you have to buy a new one? Planned obsolescence. It fuels the global free market economy. And we realize that so much of a reality in our entire lives are based on veneers, based on things that look real but really don't last. Now, my wife Katie and I, back in Los Angeles, we remodeled an old home. It was built in the 40s, remodeled in the 70s, had this really old fake wood veneer flooring. So first thing we wanted to do was put in real wood flooring, right? So we went and priced it out, found this beautiful, real solid wood flooring on sale, $5 a square foot. Now, if you have a house that maybe is more than 1,000 square feet, this is going to be a lot of Money. So guess what we had to do? We had to find the 99 cent per foot fake wood flooring. It was a veneer that looked like the real thing, but it was fake. You know, it looked really good when we installed it. But you know what? Over time, the veneer started to fade. It didn't last. It wasn't solid. So just like veneer flooring, we must be aware of the aspect of our lives that are paneled with veneer living. Let me give you some examples. See, veneer living believes that value is found in what people perceive about us, about our appearance, about our control, about our status. Veneer living puts value in being busy, looking busy, instead of being rested and being still. Veneer living posts an inspirational quote from Martin Luther King saying, we want to be about change where we're not willing to do the hard work of racial reconciliation. See, veneer living means we treat church more like a luxury liner meant to meet my personal needs instead of a troop transport sent out on a mission to help those in need. Veneer living means I put my needs first instead of taking up my cross. See, but David calls us to put aside veneer living and instead to put our lives solidly on God the rock, the real thing. What do you put your trust in? What do you put your hope in? In something solid or something that doesn't last? See, what in your life has strong rock-like sustenance? And what in your life, you would have to admit, is weak, like a veneer? This psalm is asking us to think deeply It's the prayer of Psalm 139, Lord, search me, Lord, stretch me, put me on a solid foundation in you. You know, the story goes in the year 1799, there's a 12-year-old boy, his name was Conrad Reed. He skipped church and he went fishing in Little Meadow Creek on a family farm near Fayetteville, North Carolina. In an attempt to spear a fish, young Conrad Reed He missed, but his spear struck an interesting-looking gold rock, and he carried the rock home. Now, the rock, funny enough, was used as a doorstop for three years until the father, his name was John, he decided to take it to a jeweler. So when John took it to the local jeweler, immediately the jeweler recognized this rock as a 17-pound gold nugget. The jeweler, in all fairness, offered John Reed whatever he wanted whatever price. John Reed thought about it, thinking it was just a pretty looking rock, said, 
How about a week's worth of wages? $3.50. It was a thousand times less than what it was worth. We're talking about something that'd be worth probably hundreds of thousands of dollars today. So the moral of the story, don't skip church. No, not really. The real moral of the story is the importance of knowing how to recognize something valuable. That your eyes and your mind and your heart would be trained to truly understand how to value things the way that God values things. The true moral of the story would be for you to build your house on the solid rock of Jesus. A solid foundation that could withstand any storm, an economic storm, a medical storm, an economic storm, a cultural storm, a spiritual storm to build your house on the rock. Verse nine, David says this, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see, David knows riches and he knows they don't satisfy. Both rich and poor are but a vapor on this earth. And David warns against the unjust gain of money. And even if wealth is found and earned legally, he says, don't set your heart on it. See, David reflects on his life, perhaps contrasting his poorer life as a shepherd boy, and now as a great and powerful king. You see, David knows firsthand there's no amount of gold, no amount of power, no amount of achievement that has lasting value outside of God. David knows it personally. He was one of the richest human beings to ever walk this planet. He knows it's all going to fade away. It's all but a breath, all but a vapor. It doesn't last. The only thing that lasts is to build your life on the solid rock of the king. It's the only thing that will carry you through the storms. He knows nothing but God is worthy of rock status. And he's inviting you through Psalm 62 to put your hope in this same rock. We're going to see that this rock in Psalm 62 is also a refuge. Look at verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. See, David speaks of God as rock and hear God as refuge. David knows that unless we put our hope in God as our one and only refuge, we will be lost in this life. True story, a husband and wife pulled a man to safely shores from the chilly harbor waters in Tennessee. They watched him drive his car into the waters off this embankment, apparently in a suicide attempt. And some time later, the man actually emerged and was on top of the car and actually looking like he wanted help. Desperation was on his face. And so the, the woman, the wife, sprung into action. She got a tree branch and she pulled him closer to shore. And then the husband helped him get out of the freezing water to drag him out. And as they pulled him out, the man kept saying to his rescuers, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth anything. And finally, the woman looked at him. His rescuer said, you're worth something. You're here, aren't you? And the man looked at her and said, what's your name? And she told him her name. 
And then he, he said it again. He said, wait, wait, tell me your name again. She told him his, her name. And then a big smile came on his face. And she said she could tell that man who tried to kill himself, she could see in his eyes that he wanted to live. He wanted to be rescued. And they helped him get to a hospital to recover. Why was the hopeless man who tried to kill himself smiling? Because when he asked for his rescuer's name, she said, my name is Hope. So I want you to get the picture. Hope literally saved a dying man. That when you call out for your rescuer, hope will come. When you make God your refuge, you'll find his name is Hope. David says in verse 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David makes this radical claim that you can pour out to God because you can trust him. That you can pour out your heart to him because he's, he's a worthy refuge. He's a worthy rock. You can find refuge in the true hope of Jesus Christ is what we see. For Jesus is a rescuer. He's a redeemer and he's a friend. You can pour out your heart to him when you can't find the words. And you can know that God's spirit will be praying for you with groans that words cannot express. This is the God that David is teaching us that we can pour out our heart to, that we can find in God a true refuge. See, we see in Psalm 62 that God wants to be your rock. He wants to be your refuge, but he also wants to be your rest. Verse seven says, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And actually back to verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Actually in the NIV version, verse one says this, my soul finds rest in God alone. You see, God alone is the one in whom you can rest. See, you can't rest in riches. You can't rest in beauty. These are good things, but when they become ultimate things, when you try to put your foundation in these things, you're going to find they fade away. And ultimately, they'll destroy you if you put your rest in these things that don't last. See, resting in God alone puts you in the right position to pray to God. Now, resting in God alone doesn't mean that he's going to answer every one of your prayers the way that you want them to be answered. It doesn't mean he's going to give you exactly what you want, but he's going to give you what you need. When we enter into this relationship with this one and only God who promises to be our refuge, he promises to be our rock, he promises to be our rest, then our prayers became, become shaped by God's heart. So instead of asking for personal security, maybe God is shaping us as we rest in him and find refuge in this rock, that he starts shaping us towards a different kind of prayer. A prayer to, yes, rest in his grace, and then a prayer to have enough courage to go out to a hurting world. To be part of a solution to make this world a better place in the name of Christ. You see, we can rest in God's salvation because we didn't earn it. We can't lose it. We can rest assured he's coming back for us. We can rest in the fact that he will use you to do good. See, you can rest in this rock. You can rest in this refuge. 
knowing that he will use you to do something for his good in the world. You know, for several years, I had the privilege of being the worship leader for the annual Fellowship of Christian Athletes summer camp. And there would be um, hundreds of athletes from all around uh, the state, for sure, even out of state as well. And they'd hear the gospel, and I'd get to lead worship, and we'd be praying for them, and they'd hear amazing messages from the Word of God. You know, some of these athletes we found, as they confessed, were addicted to drugs. Some of these athletes we found, as they confessed, were addicted to performance, to winning, to achieving. But all of them heard the gospel, and many of them made first-time professions of faith. Many of them made recommitments to give over their whole lives, not just their athletic lives, their whole lives to King Jesus, to rest in him, resting in his grace. They were learning, these students, that they were already loved, that they could just rest in the saving work of Jesus that resting in the costly love of Jesus is the most radical choice that you can make. Because once you give your life to Jesus, he wants all of it. He wants you to give your life over to not just sharing about him, but actually sharing his love in practical ways. He wants you to show kindness. He wants you to do justice. He wants you to love mercy. He wants you to walk humbly. Micah 6.8. When you give your life over to Jesus, when you rest in his grace, He's going to call you to live a life of humility, of mercy, of justice. But it begins with rest, resting in his grace, because you cannot earn it, so you rest in him. He's already paid the price. You have nothing to prove. So out of the security in Christ, you live courageously with him and for him. But it begins with rest. And it ends with him coming back to take you home, to be with him. Back again, when you look at verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And again, another translation, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Isn't that a great word? We're going to be resting in silence. David paints a picture of the one who rests in God as one who sits alone in silence. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you making time each day to rest in silence before the Lord? To to sit quietly as you have communion with God? I just want to encourage you to make some time for the stillness, for the silence, for the solitude. David says it right here. This is the way to connect more deeply with the Lord. Pastor Tim Keller says Psalm 62 is a psalm for those under stress. Verse 1 literally says in the Hebrew, only toward God my soul is silence. See, David knows the only way he's going to make it through the stress of his circumstances, the only way he's going to make a difference in the world was first to rest in the Lord. You know, over the past several weeks, one of the things I've been doing is first thing I wake up is to try to recite Psalm 1 from memory. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers or stand in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water who bears his fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. You see, when we meditate and sit before the Lord, it could be that verse or any verse and sit in silence. 
We're saying, Lord, I belong to you. What verse could you sit in silence with the Lord tomorrow when you wake up? First thing, oh, just to sit and to say, Lord, I belong to you. Maybe Psalm 1, maybe Psalm 139, maybe John chapter 1, whatever it would be, to sit in silence. See, there's something good about resting in God, securing ourselves in our one true refuge. There's something good about standing on the rock to get rid of all the noise so our soul can be quietly resting in the Lord, resting in his word. We got to get rid of the noise so our, our soul can be quiet resting in him. So let me ask you again, have you found rest in Jesus in some way? Maybe sitting before the Lord with the scripture or taking a walk or sitting, sitting by the ocean or watching uh, the birds and sitting and thinking about God's word and resting in him. I know the world is telling you to be busier, 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 do more, more, more. God's word is saying to rest in him. See, if you pour yourself into things that only have a veneer of value, you can't expect your life to be solid. And David says it begins by resting before the Lord. See, Katie and I believe in this resting so much. We actually started a group and for years, we were sitting with other Christian leaders, men and women, black, white, Asian, Latino, all different kinds of leaders resting in the Lord one day a month together in community. We would sit with scripture. We would meditate. We would do Bible study. We would pray for each other. We would sing, but we were resting. We were talking about uh, racial inequities and social justice and, and how we can live our lives for Jesus Christ to share the gospel Oh, but we were resting together. We were sitting together. We were focusing on the Lord. Oh, it was beautiful. We believe we could do more for God and his kingdom the more we rested. So we took one day out of the month to commit to rest together so that the other 29 days of the month, we'd be working with energy and purpose and courage for Jesus. You see, we knew there was nothing we could do a value if we didn't begin with resting and trusting in the Lord. We knew we needed to soak in God's word so that we'd never forget that only he could give us the power to make a difference on this earth. See, our goal in coming before the Lord as a, this diverse community, we wanted to know God's love. We wanted to grow God's love. We wanted to show God's love. And it all began with David's call, Psalm 62, to rest. Oh, it's an invitation, a radical rest in God and his word. It began with stillness and silence and rest. Friends, you may not know it. Oh, but resting in the Lord is one of the most important things you can do when you wake up tomorrow. We need to rest in him as we even look at the future. Take a look at verse 12. I love how David wraps up this section. He says, you, O Lord, to you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. See, there is a God whom each of us will face one day. God will judge us, but for those who have found their rest in him, rest in his security, rest in his salvation, God will judge us, but he sees Jesus in us. 
God will judge us. But for those who have found their rest in him, that means when God the Father looks at us, he sees not our righteousness, but Jesus's righteousness in us. See, the great exchange is that Christ offered through the cross his very own righteousness, his perfect record, and it gets attributed to us, not because of the work we have done, but simply because of the work of Christ, because of grace, because we rest in him. See, God alone is the one we can trust, not our own efforts. So we acknowledge as we rest in him that we can never do enough work. We acknowledge we, that we individually and as, human, as the human race, we are in need of a rescue. We need Jesus and Jesus is the rescuer. We find rest in God when we face that we can never work hard enough to earn God's embrace. Never. It simply must be received as a gift. We rest in Jesus when we know that all of this brokenness will be undone by God one day when Jesus returns we can rest. Yes, we work hard, but we rest knowing that it's up to God. It's his power in us that does any good. So we have the end in sight. We come before this great God, this great judge, asking us to make account for our lives. But how do we do it? We rest in him and we look forward to that day. Pastor Tim Keller shared last week that he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He says that God has been remarkably present even as he undergoes treatment. But he did ask us to pray that God would use this time for him and for his wife, Kathy, that they would be weaned from the joys of this world and that they would desire God's presence above all. And so we pray with Tim Keller that we would rest in the rock of God, that we would experience God's presence, that we with him would know that the one who will greet us one day at the end of our lives, that we would know he is with us right now. And so we don't put our trust in the veneers of this world. We stand on his word alone. We rest in his grace. See, you can't find rest by trusting in the veneers of beauty or control or success. None of these things last. Beauty fades. But when you worship the Lord, when you commit to the Lord to be making disciples, when you do what the Lord says and you feed hungry people, and you do all this in Christ's name, guess what? Everything you do in Christ becomes eternally significant. See, good works done in Christ never fade. That lasts. When you rest in the refuge and rock of Jesus, your life takes on a permanence. See, in Christ, everything you do matters. Nothing is lost when we keep our focus on him. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and to live lightly. You see, when you seek rest in God, the rock, you won't be shaken when the cancer comes. 
when the dream job is taken away or when the world is in turmoil because he is your refuge, you can be secure in him. Now, a silly person might ask, well, if we can't earn our salvation and if God doesn't judge us based on our good works, then why do any good then? Silly question, but let me answer it. Why, why, why bother housing the homeless? Why strive to end racism? Okay, I'll try to answer that. You see, our goal is not just to rest in Christ and do nothing until Jesus' return. We rest in him in order to see the heaven realities come to earth. Jesus taught us to pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, our lives as followers of Jesus are to be a preview of the feature story of Jesus returning to rule a new heaven and a new earth. And so when I say that we rest in God, it doesn't mean we do nothing. We rest in him knowing that all of our good works, not one of them, earn our salvation. Oh, but as we rest in him and are secure in him, we get the courage and the energy and the passion to do some good in this world in his name, to give a foretaste of the goodness of God until he comes again. Because, you see, God cries. He's hurting for, for those who are crying out for him. His heart breaks for the brokenness in this world. And so we as followers, we use our hands, we use our feet, we use our tears, we use our voice, we use our money so that we can give a foretaste of the goodness of God to a hungry world. You see, every time you bring canned foods to the church to help with Martha Henry's food pantry, oh, you give a foretaste of the goodness of God that is to come. When you call out the insidious nature of racism, oh, you give a preview of the goodness of God that is to come when every nation will bow down before Jesus. Every color, every tongue will be worshiping together. You're giving a preview of this great goodness of God to come. See, putting your trust in God alone means you're done with veneer living. See, David knew Psalm 62 would reveal the secret to endure the stress and pressures of life. You rest in God the rock. You rest in God the refuge. You rest in the redeemer whose steadfast love will carry you through the end. We don't waste our lives. We live it fully resting in this good God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just want to get a glimpse of how you truly are our rock. Lord, we take refuge in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And we rest in that grace. We receive that gift anew, Lord. Remember the grace that we have received, that our salvation is secure. And because of that, Lord, we can work hard for you, not to earn anything, but as a response to your goodness, Oh, Lord, use us to be a blessing in this world. The thirsty, the, the hungry, the hurting, the broken. Lord, send us out to give a glimpse of your goodness that will come in full one day when you return, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.